every once in a while you feel like uh, God kind of changes your plans. And that's kind of what happened around here as we're, as we're heading into the fall. A little over a year ago, I had planned uh, in October and November that we would be doing a, a series on politics. And I had all planned out kind of scriptures in place. And um, there's no other real way to say it except I just felt a heavy heart about it. Um, I didn't feel like in the current climate um, in our country, I didn't feel like my heart on the matter was going to be able to be heard uh, because we are so divided. And I ended up feeling like uh, what I wanted to accomplish in that series uh, could be accomplished via social media. So you might see a few kind of spiritual posts about politics uh, on my social media accounts and all of that. And as I prayed about it, uh, I came across a a passage of scripture. Uh, It's called Jesus's last discourse before he goes to the cross. And in it, he shares all of these marvelous truths with his disciples. And it was in this time of when Jesus knew, they didn't know what they were about to face, but Jesus knew they were going to face uncertain times Jesus knew they were going to face scary times. Jesus knew what was up ahead. He said, here's what I want you to know. Like in this passage, you know, he'll say things like, um, you know, do not be afraid. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever remains in me will bear much fruit. Just all of these great things. And so um, we decided, I've decided to do a sermon series on that in October and November, uh, John 13 through 17. If you want to read ahead, we'll, we'll start it again, like I said, in a few weeks. Uh, but the name of that series gonna, is going to be called The Uncertain Road, because this is what Jesus, when, when the road is uncertain, when you don't know what lies ahead, and I think 2020 is a year where we don't know what lies ahead, right? When you don't know, know what lies ahead, these are some truths you can bank on. So I'm really excited about it, and I, I forgot to mention it during announcements, so I wanted to do it now. All right, so let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into uh, Amazed. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much for Jesus, and I pray that Uh, During this sermon series, my prayer is that we have been amazed and we have been blown away, not just by what he does, uh, but by who he is. We thank you for for that truth. We thank you for who he is. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The type of story that you are telling determines the way that you tell the story. So the type of story that you're telling determines the way you tell the story. So if you're telling a romantic story, Right? You might kind of do it with a sing-song voice. There was a handsome prince right, who, turned into a, who was turned into a beast by a witch, and the only way the spell could be broken is by true love's kiss. I do a terrible romantic one, but if you were, were going to do a funny story, you might keep the story kind of monotone and even uh, the entire time that you're telling the story, and then at the very end, you land the punchline, and at the very end of the story, you land it and like, no, you're the fun guy, right? You might, you might do it that way. If you're telling a scary story, you might use your body language to, and even your voice to keep kind of low. And it might be the brother and sister traveled through the forest until they came to an abandoned house, a house they would later discover was inhabited by a witch. If you're telling an action story, your voice might actually raise a little bit and the cadence of your words might increase. That Indiana Jones then ran for his life, poison darts whizzing past his head, a giant boulder racing toward him at breakneck speed. The type of story you want to tell determines how you tell the story. And this is what we're going to see today, that we're going to tell the same story. These stories are the same, but they're going to be told in two different ways to communicate uh, different lessons. And it's a really famous story. As a matter of fact, this story is kind of sandwiched in the two passages we looked at last week. Uh, Last week, Jesus uh, performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. 
At the end of that miracle, the crowds intended to make him a king by force. Jesus didn't want that to happen. So he withdraws, and the disciples are traveling across the sea. Jesus is going to meet them on the other side of the sea. The disciples are traveling across the sea uh, when this next kind of amazing miracle happens. It's in John 6, starting in verse 16. Here's what it says. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now here's what's interesting. This story in John 6 is told this way. Matthew tells almost an identical story in Matthew 14 to to kind of share the miracle, but he takes the story one detail further. And here's how it says in Matthew 14, verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now here becomes the question. Why does Matthew include the little tidbit about Peter walking on the water and John decides to leave it out? Why does Matthew include the Peter response and John just decides not to share it at all? And I think we need to cover one thing right off the bat is this would not be considered a contradiction. John doesn't contradict Matthew. Matthew includes an additional detail. It would be like if you were to ask Cheryl and I about our wedding day and if anything interesting happened other than getting married, if anything interesting happened on our wedding day, right? If you were to ask me that question, I might share with you how I had reserved a luxury SUV to go on our honeymoon. We were married in December and we were going into the mountains of Pennsylvania and just wanted to be on the safe side. So we, I rented a luxury SUV. And when I went the morning of our wedding, I went to pick up uh, the, the SUV and the guy said, I'm sorry, we kind of gave your reservation away. I said, well, this is a huge problem. I'm getting married later today. We're going on our honeymoon in the morning. I'm gonna need that. And they said, well, we have an old pickup truck that you could rent. And I would tell you the story of how I looked at the guy in the eye and I said, I am not taking my new bride on our honeymoon in an old pickup truck. And they said, we're gonna figure it out. We will figure it out. And and they did figure it out and we settled it and uh, we went off on our honeymoon. I might tell that story. Cheryl might tell you the story about how she did not, uh, she, she got dehydrated during the day. She didn't drink enough water. She didn't drink enough anything. And she got dehydrated. And the night we were married, in the middle of the night, she woke up violently sick. And we, I ended up having to take her to the hospital the night we were married. We were in the emergency room. We called her family that we were going to meet for brunch the next day. And her sister walked into the emergency room, looked at me and said, you've only had her for six hours and you've already broken her, Right? And and she might tell that story. Now, if you were to talk to us on separate occasions, you would not say, well, Steve didn't mention anything about the hospital. He's lying. Or you wouldn't say about Cheryl. She didn't mention anything about the SUV. She's lying. You wouldn't say that at all. You would say, well, they were just telling the story from their unique angle, trying to make their unique point about what they were reminded of on that day. 
And that's what's going on here. Matthew and John are not contradicting each other. They have different purposes. And Matthew decides to uh, use a little more detail than John uses. So another option that I've seen is that if you have studied the Gospels much, you know that John and Peter, they have a little bit of a competitive nature between the two of them. You actually see this in the resurrection story. Let me show you this passage from the resurrection. I thought about just telling it to you, but it's much better read. It said, early on in the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, which we know is John, the one Jesus loved. So there's Peter, and then there's the one Jesus loved. Right? John's not even gonna name himself. He's like, the one that Jesus loved, and, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, you don't just include that detail unless you are a competitive person. You are telling the story of the resurrection, and a detail that you choose to include is, hey, Peter and I had a race, I won. And by the way, I'm the disciple Jesus loved also. Peter doesn't have you know, a gospel, so I get to include whatever I want to include. And so the problem with this theory about the John and Peter kind of uh, competitive relationship is that this story certainly does highlight Peter's faith. Matthew highlights Peter's faith, that of all the disciples in the boat, Peter's the one that got out of the water. And he should be celebrated for that. Peter uh, got out of the boat and walked on the water. He's the only one that did that. But if you read the entirety of the story, Peter does look around and see the wind and the waves, and he begins to sink. So if you have a competitive relationship with Peter and you maybe subconsciously have a desire to show that you are better than, this actually would be a story you could use. That, well, yeah, Peter and his bluster, Peter got out of the boat, but dude sank, right? His faith failed, he went under the water. So that doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I, I think the, the best and most plausible explanation is the one we've been talking about, that each author, Matthew and John, they choose to tell the story of Jesus to make a certain point. And John, in particular, John is a Jesus-centered book. John seeks to help us understand who Jesus is and why he came and what his mission was. So like John, in John's gospel, he includes these seven I am statements of Jesus, just so we know exactly who Jesus is. I am the bread of life, Jesus says in John uh, 6. I am the light of the world, John 8. I am the door of the sheep, John 10. I am the resurrection and the life, John 11. I am the good shepherd, John 10. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14. I am the true vine. Again and again and again in John, Jesus said, I am, I am, I am. This is who I am. And so John is all about Jesus is. If you were gonna describe the gospel of John in two words, it would be that. Jesus is. This is who he is. Matthew tells the story in a different way. Matthew is all about the kingdom that Jesus came to bring and the kingdom that Jesus is the king over. And Matthew is all about trying to get us to see our response to Jesus living in his kingdom. So in the book of Matthew, we get the Sermon on the Mount. It is three chapters of Jesus' teaching saying, this is your response to who Jesus is. This is what life is like living in his kingdom. So he talks about loving our enemies. He talks about being generous. 
He talks about all loving, kind. He talks about all these reactions to who Jesus is. So John's gospel could be described as Jesus is. Matthew's gospel could be described as I will. So John's saying this is who Jesus is. Matthew is saying in response to who Jesus is, I will love my enemies. I will be radically generous. I will be kind and concerned about my neighbor. In response to who Jesus is, I will. So it is of no surprise to me that John's gospel focuses almost totally on Jesus' act. Right? The disciples had gotten into the boat. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is about 650 degrees below sea level. It is surrounded by mountains. A lot of times the mountain air kind of swoops down off the mountains. It hits the warm Sea of Galilee water, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you can get these very turbulent seas, and, and these, seas can, uh, th- these storms can pop up out of nowhere. Now, I've never lived uh, in that region, but I grew up in Michigan. And I grew up on Lake Michigan, and I have seen storms come out of nowhere. And when I have seen a storm pop up on Lake Michigan, another freshwater lake, I have never been so happy to have my feet on dry ground. It can be scary. And so I love the simplicity of the description. The disciples are in the boat, they're three or four miles out. The wind and the waves are beating the boat, and they start to see Jesus walking on the water toward them. They don't know who he is, and so he clarifies it, and here's what he says. On the screen, it is I. Don't be afraid. I love it because John is all about Jesus is. So I love that he, out of all of the the gospel writers, he surely would have included this little detail. It is I. Don't be afraid. And at this point, they have seen Jesus do a lot of stuff. They've seen him heal. They've seen him preach. They just saw him the day before feed 5,000 people with essentially a happy meal. And now they're watching him walk on the water with these very simple words that I want you to receive into your heart and I want you to receive them into your mind today. It is I. Don't be afraid. It is I. Don't be afraid afraid. And this is a great sermon for our day because there have been things to be afraid of lately. I don't know if you've heard of a virus lately, a virus that has our country reeling and unsure of what to do, an election that we are fearful of and amped up about, an economy that is volatile right now, a racial divide that makes us easy and unsure of what to say. And 2020 is starting to feel like we are in a dinghy of a boat all together And the wind and the waves are crashing against us one right after another. And here, if you look out on the horizon, here is Jesus walking on the water, demonstrating his power, demonstrating his authority. Let me put this truth on the screen for you. When everybody in the boat is losing their mind over the wind and the waves, Jesus is walking on the wind and the waves. When everybody's losing their mind, here Jesus is full of calm and full of certainty and he is walking on the water. And you know why Jesus has this calm and this certainty? Two reasons, knowledge and power. He knows what he wants to do He knows what he wants to accomplish. He knows that he's got to get to the other side and he's going to preach the sermon that we looked at last week. He knows what he wants to do and he knows that with a single word, he can quiet the wind, he can quiet the waves, he can quiet the sea. sea. And so this just becomes a storm that he can use for his glory 
and a storm that he needs to endure. If you have kids or grandkids, uh, you might have had an experience like this that uh, you take them to McDonald's. I think I can say that on streaming. We'll find out. They maybe just kicked us off. But um, you take them to McDonald's, copyright infringement, um, and you get them a Happy Meal, and you get yourself a sandwich as well, but you skip the fries because COVID-15, and you're trying to watch it a little bit. Um, and uh, so you skip the fries, and your kid, your kid or your grandkid, they have the Happy Meal right there, and you reach over to take a single fry off their tray. And immediately they're like, mine! That's mine! And you are kind of blown away by it. Because here's your thought. It's like, I have $20 in my pocket. I could buy enough fries at McDonald's. They're a dollar for a huge container of them. I could buy enough fries to cover this entire table. And you're gonna bust my chops over one fry? Have you lost your mind, little boy? Have you lost your mind, little girl? Right, and they are just losing their mind. But here's the thing. They don't know that about you. They don't know you have a $20 bill in your pocket. They don't know what you're thinking, that you could just cover the entire table on fries. But here's what offends you about the situation, is they don't know that, but they know you. They know your generosity, they know your kindness, and you expect them to act differently, not because they know what you're gonna do, you expect them to act differently because of who you are. And here's the truth. There are things Jesus knows that we don't know. We don't know how COVID's gonna resolve, Jesus does. We don't know what the economy's gonna do, Jesus knows. We don't know how he's gonna accomplish or what he's gonna, we don't know any of that, but here's the deal, guys, we know him. And we know he's powerful, and we know he has a plan, and we know he can work all things for the good of those who love him. We know that he gives good gifts. We know him, and so we can trust him. And we are in a season right now as a country, in the world, where everybody's losing their minds. Everybody's losing their minds. What's gonna happen with the election, COVID, the economy? And we're running around as though our hair is on fire. Not you and I. We are going to choose calm. Not because we know the conclusion, we don't. We're gonna choose calm because we know the Christ. And we know Jesus. And we know his love, we've experienced it. We know his grace, we know he has a plan, we know his resurrection, we know him. So we calm ourselves a bit. Again, not because we know the conclusion. Who here knows the conclusion? Nobody, nobody knows the conclusion, but because we know and trust the Christ. Now this is where we get into Matthew's account. John's account is all about, it is I, don't be afraid. It is all about who Jesus is. Matthew's account is going to get into our response to who Jesus is. That because of Jesus, Peter says, because of Peter, I will. Right? And so we get, to, we get into the response in Matthew's book. It is Peter's desire to get out of the boat and become a water walker. And here's what I want you to see. It is, first of all, a step of faith. I love how it's, how it's phrased in here that if it's you, Matthew says, Matthew reports, Uh, what Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. And this is important because he knows he cannot do this on his own. He needs the Christ. He needs Jesus. And and as a matter of fact, later on when he gets his eyes off of Jesus, it's it's when he begins to sink and everyone else in the boat is freaking out. But Peter says, I want to take a step of faith. I want to take a step of faith toward you, Jesus. 
So I want you to think about right now, what is the step of faith that Jesus might be calling you to right now? I understand that the last couple months that we have been primarily focused on the wind and the waves, and maybe justifiably so, but right now, I want us to take our eyes off the wind and the waves, and I want us to put them on Jesus. I want us to uh, pull back from the chaos of the last four months, and I want us to ask a simple question. Jesus, what is a step of faith that you are calling me to take right now? Maybe for you, it's just about faith. And you've never really uh, expressed your faith in Jesus publicly. You've never been baptized. Maybe right now you sense Jesus saying, get out of the boat and take a step of faith toward me. Maybe for you, it is a personal habit that has become an addiction and is on its way to becoming a God. And it's really taken hold during, during COVID-19. It's really taken hold during this pandemic. And it is an addiction that is very fast becoming a, a God. And by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you just, you're ready to lay it down. You're ready to be done. Maybe that's your step of faith. Maybe for you, it's a relationship. And you're feeling just a need to take a step of faith and to say something to the neighbor, the family, or the friend about Jesus. Maybe for you it's a service opportunity or a service ministry. I, I sometimes call this the Nehemiah moment, that Nehemiah was a guy in the Old Testament that uh, was away from Israel. He was in captivity, and God's people were all returning to Israel. And when they get back, they discover that the wall had been torn down and the city was in shambles. And word goes back to Nehemiah, and it says, Nehemiah just... He, he sat down and he wept when he heard about the situation that Jerusalem was in, that God had placed inside of him this desire to help. This was his home. These were his people. And he sprang into action. He asked the king he was working for, could I go back to Israel and, and help them recover? And I know um, that God does that for every single person. You have a Nehemiah moment yourself. That there is a thing that when you see or when you hear, there is a stirring inside of you. I talked to some people that uh, divorces this way. That when they hear about somebody going through a divorce, they immediately think, I can help. I've been through this before. I can help. I can serve. I can encourage. Uh, sometimes uh, cancer will be this way. It's like, man, when you hear someone that's going through cancer, you're like, I can help. I can encourage. I, I, can, I can be helpful here. I've been through this uh, before. Cheryl and I, we feel this way about adoption. Every single time we hear about a couple going through an adoption, our heart just bends toward them because we've been through it. Rick Warren kind of came up with this acronym of SHAPE. He says, God has given every Christian a shape. Spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality, and experiences. And he's given you your shape to stir inside of you a desire to serve and make a difference. So I wonder what it would look like for you right now to say, I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going, to I'm going to get out of the boat. I've been comfortable in the boat. I'm going to get out of the boat and I'm going to take a step of faith. The other thing that Peter does is it's not just a step of faith. It's a step of invitation, of imitation, excuse me. This is, I don't know if the home crowd will be able to see it, but this is one of my favorite pictures uh, in my office. And this was taken uh, several years ago now uh, by my wife on a vacation. We were in Florida and uh, my son at that time was waking up really, really early, um, uh, just as a pattern of life. He was a lot of times waking up before six o'clock. And so we had told him, listen, we were with our whole family in Florida, and we said, if you get up early, you come get daddy, you come get mommy, whatever, who, what, you choose. Uh, you, you get whoever you want to get up, 
and we'll go look for seashells on the beach instead of waking up the whole family. And so it's like, like 6 a.m., you know you can feel eyes on you. Like 6 o'clock, you know, you're, oh, my, yeah. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden you're freaked out. He's like, can we go look for shells? And Cheryl, me, and Sam, we would all get up and we'd go look for shells. And Cheryl just snapped this on a cell phone. Uh, and I love the picture. Uh, and it's become to me an image of faith that we follow in the footsteps of our Savior. We follow in the footsteps of our God. And so Peter, it's just a natural thing that, that happens with Peter. He sees his friend, he sees his Savior, he sees his Lord walking on the water, and he just wants to imitate his Savior. And I want you to think about right now, what is a way that you can imitate Jesus in our broken and fallen world right now? I think there's a lot of ways that we are in a culture right now that is choosing anger and hatred. Say, no, I'm gonna imitate my savior. I'm gonna be like Jesus and I'm gonna choose love. We live in a culture that we are seeing and making enemies of each other. Like, no, I'm gonna walk like my savior. I'm gonna walk like Jesus. I'm gonna walk in his footsteps and I am gonna choose to love and be unified. Maybe our culture right now, we see them choosing winning. Like winning is the number one priority. And you say, no, I'm gonna be like my savior. I'm gonna be my, like my Lord. And loving, not winning, loving is going to be the highest priority. Listen, the church does not shrink back from moments like this. This is not the first time the church has had a moment like this where culture is choosing one thing, everybody's choosing one thing, and Christians step up and say, no, we are going to walk in the footsteps of our Savior, and we are going to choose a different path. We are going to choose a different way. We are not going to shrink back from this on disagreements over COVID, racial disunity, political anger, generational divide. We're not gonna run from it, we're gonna run to it, and we are gonna show the better way that is Jesus Christ. So it's a step of imitation. It's also a step of courage. Peter gets a bad rap, to be fair. Uh, But listen, it took a ton of courage for him to get out of that boat and walk toward Jesus. We know it took a ton of courage because nobody else did it. And he summoned up the courage and he walked toward his friend and his savior. And it was when his eyes got on the wind and the waves that his faith began to fail and he began to sink. So I just want to ask you right now, this always happens with courage. When our eyes are on Jesus, his spirit gives us courage. When our eyes are on the wind and the waves, our courage begins to fall. Where's your eyes right now? Where are your eyes right now? Are they on the news? I promise you it will, your courage will fail if, if it's on the news. Is it on social media? I promise you your courage will fall if it's on social media. Are your eyes on Jesus? Are your eyes on Jesus? When your eyes are on Jesus, his spirit invades your heart, his spirit invades your mind, and gives you courage, just like Jesus. I don't want to see us be foolish, but I don't want to see us be afraid either. I want to see us have courage right now to do the right thing, to say the right thing, and, and to, be, to imitate Jesus, and to be like him. You've got um, uh, communion is under your, under your chairs right now. And uh, I want us to receive that uh, together. We're actually gonna change the way we're doing this a little bit. And so this is our opportunity, whatever has been going on, 
This is our opportunity to put our eyes back on Jesus. Maybe you came in here and it's like, man, my eyes have been on racial disunity. My eyes have been on generational divide. My eyes have been on COVID-19. My eyes have been everywhere. This is an opportunity for us to put our eyes back on Jesus and for, to allow him to give us courage. So this, is, this bread represents his body that was given for each and every one of us on the cross. It took great courage for Jesus to go to the cross, but he did it because he loves us. Let us receive it together. This juice represents the blood that he spilled there for our salvation so we could receive the Holy Spirit. Let us receive it together. It is when our eyes are on him that we realize that it is him. We don't need to be afraid. It is him. It is I, Jesus says. Do not be afraid. And it frees us up to take a step of faith, a step of uh, imitation, and a step of courage. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you uh, for his gift of grace. And may we have our eyes on you and remember that it is you. We don't need to be afraid. So instead, may we leave this place and be wholly committed to imitating you, to taking a step of faith toward you, to living in courage, whatever you're calling us to do. May we, may we remember it's you. And may we leave this place encouraged and not afraid, but ready to serve you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless. Have a great day.